Hey everybody, I'm Bobby Salveson. And I'm Michael Monaco, and together we are the Hazmat Guys, connecting the Hazmat community near and far with knowledge, insight, and real-world examples in an effort to make your job just a little bit easier and safer. Now, let's take a minute to hear from today's sponsors. Hey, Mike, pop quiz. What is the standard go-to method for emergency decon? Uh, That's pretty easy. Wet decon, right? Well, you know, you're not the only one that may be thinking that, but it's actually dry decon. No, 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 no. How many times have I heard dilution is the solution to pollution? (laughs) Actually, too many. And that's the issue. Makes sense if you think about it. Without the use of water, we don't need to spend extra time setting up traditional showers or pools. And there's no wastewater afterwards. And you're not going to freeze anybody to death if it's below 60 degrees. Check out firstlinetech.com slash dry decon. First Line Technology has a whole webpage dedicated to the methodology and links to plenty of dry decon resources. See for yourself why dry decon with FiberTech should be your go-to immediate decon solution. With many major cities having nearby waterways, subways, and sewers, first responders sometimes face rescue situations where they must wade into stagnant water. Turnout and traditional rescue gear is not designed to provide protection from hazards and chemicals while submerged in stagnant water. Lion prides itself on making garments to keep first responders safe and is now offering a protection solution for these stagnant water situations. The lightweight one-piece FRS, which is flood response suit, protects against lower levels of liquid concentrations that may be encountered in flood zones or stagnant water where wading is required. The FRS is a non-certified hoodless garment with a special AquaSeal zipper, butyl wrist gloves, and neoprene collar to keep the hazards out. The FRS is made from Kempac, selectively permeable fabric by Gore-Tex Labs, which provides protection from toxic industrial chemicals and bloodborne pathogens while managing heat and body stress for longer mission times. When it comes to ChemBio Solutions, Lion has your back. Let's get to the show. Hey, everybody. Michael Monaco with the Hazmat Guys. Welcome to another episode. I'm here with Bob. We are at episode 383, three? Four, somewhere so. around there. Yes, Doesn't right. really matter. I am uh, recording live from, well, okay, we're not really live, but uh, I'm out here in, in Cobbs County, Georgia, finishing up a, a, a metering class. Actually, we're in between, in between days on a metering class, depending on... Uh, uh, well, not depending on, you're going to hear this on Friday and I was here on Monday. So it is what it is. <laughs> what yeah. are you doing? You just came back from, uh, some conferences. Yeah. Yeah. No, we went down to do, uh, South Carolina, um, some teaching down there. So that was uh busy, busy, um, good dudes down there. And actually one of the things that we're going to bring in at the end of this class, which was kind of an eye opener to me and I have to do a little more research to this is uh something that was given to us he emailed it actually texted to me uh while i was there and i have to do a little more due diligence to this but this kind of shook me a little bit i didn't i don't know if it's true maybe it's a misprint but if it is true it's interesting because uh this is one of those wives tales that are out there so um i I love a wives tale with that being said uh this thursday i think 
This is the fourth Thursday of March. It'll be the Hazmat Happy Hour at 1900 hours Eastern Standard Time. Uh, so you can go to has, thehazmatguys.com slash happy. Uh, check us out there. Conferences, Oklahoma, New York State, uh, Midwest, Cold Zone, Baltimore, Virginia, and Massachusetts. Ooh, we're That's on, the next we're on Virginia's schedule. I just got the email today, and I have to respond to him, but I, uh, they reached out to us, and uh, I think we are going to go down and check it out. So Very we'll see nice. what happens. So, um, yeah, interesting stuff. Stuff coming on. Up to nothing. So what, what do you got? Do you want to start first? No, I think I'll save mine for the end. <laughs> All right, very good. Well, mine, mine's quick. Mine's kind of a, a lithium-ion battery thing, um, which is not – I know, I know. It, it's it's We've been talking about it so much we're kind of sick of it. Uh, but some, uh, some, some, some interesting – not some interesting, just some, some observations. <clears throat> some things that <clears> – I've <throat> been teaching all day. My throat is shot. Um, so some, some in, interesting observations that I'm seeing people do, and I'm kind of curious as to why they're doing it. And I didn't call anybody out and, and I haven't talked to anybody about it, but, um, so we get, uh, a, a scooter the other day and the scooter had, had been some kind of an accident. It was dented. The, the battery pack, the thing was smoking. The whole thing was gone. And when we got there, they had it running under a hydrant. They pulled the battery off, and the battery was running under a hydrant. <clears throat> they, we then came in, and we started taking the, the, the battery apart, and it started smoking more. And the reflex of our guys, you know, because we pack everything in the cell block, the reflex was to then take the stuff that was smoking and put it under water for a little while. And at first, I was like, Okay, that kind of makes sense. But then I was thinking about what we were doing, and the more and more I started thinking about it, the less sense it made. So I kind of wanted to run the thought by you and see what your thoughts were. So as I was sitting there, and I was like, okay, well, we're going to pour it underwater. When we take it off, it's gonna, the water's going to evaporate from the battery, and it's going to start to smolder again. I was like, so why are we doing this cycle of cooling it, pulling it out, cooling it, putting it out, cooling it, putting it out? why don't we just take the battery apart it was a pouch style battery so multiple multiple pouches all squished together and put it in the cell block and overpack it and just walk away because we're not getting to the point that we're gonna put the chemical reaction out right it's going to go until the chemical reaction is complete it's right. going to continue to get hot yet we continue to have this thought concept of cool it Instead of just take it and just overpack it right into the cell block and, and be done with it. I Yeah, I of all the classes we've been delivering uh, out there, and, and I'm sure there's a couple of people out there just sharpening their pencils up uh, on this topic, are, are, I think there's a misconception of like the, the difference between thermal runaway and propagation. We cannot stop thermal runaway. Cannot like be we stopped. have we have videos of these things reacting underwater, right? Because yeah. the and and that brings me to to a, a a social media post. But go ahead with yours. But we can stop propagation. 
Hence that propagation. That's the key. Is so like I don't have I really don't have a problem with us taking the whole block of pouches and throwing it in a cell block. We're giving all those pouches away. I mean, they they go, they're going to go. They're done. However, um, the separation of the goods first and the bads, you may be able to save it. But at the end of the day, who cares? Like, it, it, first off, not coming right. out of my paycheck. And second off, the cost of that and the time and the effort and the possibility of you getting blown apart. Like, like, and I'm not saying literally blown apart. I'm saying, like, shocked. Right. <laughs> and we weren't separating it to save any good pouches. We were separating it because technically you're supposed to pull the cells apart to put it in the cell block. Right. Right. So, uh, I don't know. I like. I I, I. I. Honestly, that that in my mind, either the cell block works or it doesn't. It doesn't. And again, maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong, but I, I you know if it could take the load, and this is in my mind, if it can take the heat and the smoke from 10 cells, let's say, whether they're ganged together or they're separated, it can take this, the, the heat and smoke from 10 cells. Right. What's the geometry or, or the location have to do with it? Yeah. Yeah. Either can and do it or can't. So, you know, the setup that we use for the demonstrations that we do for our class. Mm -hmm. Well, we decided to, I'm not saying it was done anywhere at work. Mm -hmm. Okay. People got together, put some cell block in a 16-gallon drum with four cells that we thermally ran away. Okay. One cell, the first cell popped. I'm not going to say detonate because it didn't really detonate, but you know that pop that it does? Yep. Blew the top off a 16-gallon drum. All right. Close chime, close bung, small and large? Small, open, lid on tight. Not like screwed down tight, but the ring was on and the bolt was in a couple of threads. And the small and the big bung was closed. Big bung was closed, little bung open, and it like, now when it popped the top it popped up and resat down like cockeyed. And then when it went off again, it blew up top and then resettled back down again. And every time it went off, cell block just went everywhere. It was like a popcorn popper, right? It was, it was like a popcorn blowing. popper. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, because the because our uh yeah, our boss had wanted to just see what the cell block would do. Because the question was was, you know, we've been receiving all this cell block back. And, you know, it's the batteries are taken out. We've never seen clumps of cell block. Like they said, it gets hot, it melts. It, yeah. And in cases. So we were kind of going back and forth with it. And again, we're sharing everything that we're seeing because as Bob has said so many times, we're building this plane as we fly it. So we really don't know anything. We don't trust anything. We're kind of just giving our observations based upon what we see on a regular basis. And so- Hell, we don't we, even trust what we're seeing. Right. We don't even trust what we're seeing. So we started having a conversation back and forth. It was like, well, maybe they're being stuck to the battery. And that's why we're not seeing any clumping in the cell block that we're getting back. Mm. So we were like, let's just do it. He's like, do you have any of your 
any of your stuff with you. And I'm like, I got my battery kit in the car. I pulled it out and I created a couple of the, the devices that we use, shoved it in the cell block, had one smoke and two kind of pop. And when we dug everything out, none of the cell block had done what they said it was going to do. Doesn't they, don't they say it happens at like 800 degrees F? Right. Right. So, so either the cell block is not melting at 800 or it's not getting to 800. Or it's not getting to 800, right. Which if I had four batteries go off, what does it take to get that battery to 800? Because, hmm. I mean, we've definitely see them, seen them flare and, you know, like really, you know, give that, that heavy-duty burn. Um, I don't know if it did it under there. I know there was some smoke that came out, not a lot of smoke, and the cell block was definitely blackened, you know, throughout. So it definitely absorbed much more than what we typically see being given off in the smoke, uh, but it didn't encapsulate, it didn't burn, it certainly didn't put that fire out. Battery did it on its own. I would like to do another test, and maybe we'll mention this off air. And if that um, that organization of peoples wouldn't mind testing one more variable, I'm curious to see uh, if there's a because I've had it in the back of my head for a while, and I, I wonder what the the plus and minus of it would be. Um, I don't know. Like that, that's impressive that the drum popped. I wonder, and and again, you can probably do the math on the on the pressure. Did it? It popped through the chime ring, right? The closure, so the yeah. lid kind of came through the 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 ring that went around around it. It didn't. It didn't deform the lip on the drum. No, no, no. no. I, it was. You would still be able to use. It wasn't on tight enough to deform anything. We didn't have it cranked down because if it did really overpressurize, we didn't want to create like we wanted basically a, a pressure relief area so that if it was going to fail, it was going to fail upwards in a certain direction. I wonder what would happen if you if you did the big bung or both bungs. Would it have had enough uh, pressure relief so it didn't pop? Ooh, that's weird. Wow. Yeah, that's going to be a lot of pressure, man, because if it had an open small bung and that thing can release you know open air a lot of pressure quickly but not that quickly to the point where it additionally had enough to not just like rate bump the the lid but enough to actually pass the chime ring and come off the drum well it the, it took the chime ring with it oh so it stayed on the lid Stayed on the lid. The chime ring stayed on the lid. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, concerning. You know, we're gonna we're gonna throw some more tests out there. Um, I think we're gonna test cell block a little bit more. Maybe try to get some thermal runaway events that don't just pop and detonate. Uh, maybe we try to get some burning events happen and and see what happens. I'm just thinking about the physics of the whole thing. Is like you got to think about the pounds per square inch. And so if that lid, I'm making up a number, is like 14 inches round, and you do the pi r squared, and you find out the square inches of it, 
And then you can basically figure out how many PSI it takes to push that off. Right. You could pretty much figure out what the pressure that was in there pretty simply. Like, you could probably even figure out... We can, get a sensor, we can get a sensor pressure and, and you know, hack it into the into the into the lid and actually into the small bunk because the wire going in is probably negligible as far as the the hole that's there man that's oh man i would myth bust the shit out of that thing hey listeners the hazmat guys have some great news for you and your organization we are really stepping up our brand of in-person training in addition to the great content you get on demand now, we know what you're thinking, but this is already incredibly great stuff, and how could it possibly get better? All I can say is, wait until we're in front of you. When we gather the best of the best from across this planet and even beyond, and assemble an instructional cadre that is seriously second to none. And now we have a ton of ways to help you, your team, or your organization get to a level that makes everybody proud. From subscriptions, on-demand, hybrid methods, to full in-person goodness. You can contact me, Bob, at thehazmatguys.com to schedule a call and find a solution that works for you. And every participant of an in-person class gets a free one-year premium subscription, which sounds pretty good. Hmm. So contact me at Bob at thehazmatguys.com and get some more information. Which, which then, you know, there's a, a post online that makes me kind of feel like people aren't fully understanding what's going on, right? Like people are trying to, they're trying to figure it out, but I don't feel like they understand all the steps. And here's the post. The post is a project where the Swedish civil contingency agency, I have no idea who these people are, demonstrated that it is possibly to safely flow water inside a battery pack and in a way stop the propagation of thermal runaway. We tested the small battery packs, 26 kilowatts, up to a full EV. The full EV was put out with 750 liters of water, which is 200 gallons, in 10 minutes. It was a hard cover, everything in the video, so please ask questions if you're unclear. Okay. So basically, this is them piercing a battery pack. Um, a couple of things about the video. One, this thing was in full, full-fledged, like flames coming out of every orifice of this battery pack when they went in, they got it. Uh, and they were able to put the fire out with the water. But what I don't think people are realize are happening is that, you know, there's not enough consistency in the batteries to be able to perform a few tests. And we're seeing this, one of the biggest takeaways in where we are in the fact that we're getting say three of these a day mm -hmm. is that, we're seeing all the events take place. All the probability is happening because of the just the sheer numbers that we're seeing. So if in general, the fires go out, we overpack it in the cell block and 98 times out of 100 drums that get sent off to the yard that they sit are perfectly fine. And three times the batteries inside go into thermal runaway then we have very small probabilities of reignition happening after we're putting the batteries out with water. But we're still seeing events in which 
the batteries are going to thermal runaway after being put out. So the concept that, that I think people are failing to see as firefighters is they're going, oh, wait, everybody else can't put these fires out. Look, I just put this fire out. Look at me. And it's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> the point is not that you put the fire out. Like nobody's arguing that water won't put the fire out. Like water puts the fire out. What we're arguing is that the fire doesn't stay out for the batteries that have been thermally abused to the point that they're going to go into thermal runaway. Right. The fire stops when it's ready to stop. It's not because fire of what you did. stops when it's ready to stop. Right. And I think that those numbers are a perfect view. I think people are doing one or two tests and being like, oh, look, this works. And it's like, no, no, no. You got to like you got to do lots of different tests. Like you got to do yeah. this a hundred times because it takes the hundred times for the three times for it to fail. Right. But it also takes, you know, like for a department that's doing a lot of it, like, you know, let's say New York city or whatever it might be for, for guys to take a vested interest in not just doing the job, throwing it in the drum, setting it down range. It's, th it takes guys going, okay, what if we do this? What if we do this? What if we do and like and like oh well you know water the greatest thing since sliced bread test water in different ways cell block the best thing since sliced bread let's test it in different ways like it you almost have to start doing myth busting and luckily that department is doing so many reps with live real batteries that right. there's going to be some interesting information that comes out. And hopefully it keeps coming, uh, you know, it keeps coming, to be honest with you, because uh, I, I think a lot of people are rightfully trying to get in front of it, educate the members, trying to um, know what the hell is going on, trying to learn, trying to read um, about everything. And even some of the stuff I'm reading online, I'm like, that's not true or that's kind of true or it's built on a yes, false. It's kind of true. That's kind of true. Somebody's going to get hurt. It's kind of true. So yeah. you get somebody who's like, oh, yeah, no, we did this a couple times and it worked just fine. And then you start to, to, to enter into that concept. Not really the normalization of deviance because we're not really deviating from a norm. Like there is no norm set. But deviating from what you think is has the potential to happen to being like, well, we did this 30 times and it worked just fine. Well, the 31st time, there's variables that we're not able to fully understand or take into consideration yet, and that's when there's a problem, and the problem leads to additional fire or leads to additional death or leads to... I'm saying I, I read an article, a local article, that was – it was basically – it was almost like I know a friend who has a brother-sister who knows Ferris Bueller, and like I was like – there is actually no data in this, and they're referring to other articles that were that were conjecture as well. And it's like that's partially true. That's a complete falsehood. And I'm like, does anybody fact check this stuff anymore? And a lot of people, I saw that e article. It came to my email address through members and friends of mine. Did you see this article on batteries? I'm like, it's half wrong. What half? I don't know, because I I, I don't know. I just listen. If anybody's out there listening to us, if anybody's still listening to us, who the, who the hell are you? Uh, but if anybody's still listening to us, um, weigh what you're reading. Like, 
and, and these and some of these Facebook groups, like I was on a Facebook group last night, uh, one of the the battery groups, and I'm very proud that the guys are on there going, you know, where's the facts? Where is your article? Where are you citing this information from? Where are you like? What's the? I'm glad they're doing that. Don't yeah. just yeah, take it's, people's. It's hard to at the same time, right? Because you can't. As much as sometimes you want to do facts, sometimes you just have to look at sheer numbers and we don't produce any facts, right? But I can tell you that if we're doing an average of three batteries a day and in six months, you know, we've had three or four drums in storage go into thermal runaway, a couple of them have detonated, a couple of them have blown fire out <laughs> the bunghole like it was a, a blowtorch. Um, then you gotta kind of, you gotta at least understand that there's more, you're dealing with higher risk than you think. Yeah. And we can't no, like it. take it for granted. Always operate with the idea of this battery is going to light up when it does, where do I want it to be? I think this is going to be an evolving thing. And I, I honestly, I don't think this is going to be going away for a couple of years, I gotta no. say, I, I think there's gonna be a lot of, a lot of new information. And you know what's, you know what's gonna be a frustrating thing? Let's say you bought a class from XYZ, for, uh, you know, company to come in and teach your guys about lithium ion batteries, and you got a class and they loved it. And then you can almost say in a year you're gonna need another class because the whole landscape changed. No, the construction didn't change. No, the the methodology of it changed, but the how we're handling it is changing weekly. So well, I tell people in, in the class that we teach all the time, listen to the podcasts because any updates that we have on the right. batteries like this, we're going to, we're going to talk about it on air. Right. Like, so you at least get the foundation and especially the operations levels guys, because we really try to structure the class towards product container environment, you know, which is not something that operations guys are used to, but at least we're we're updating it through the podcast. Like we can continue to build on the information that's already been laid out. I love it. All right, you want to get into mine? Yes. Okay. We're gonna switch scenes, and I will do my best to describe it. Ah, look at this. So this is actually from Lion Technology, and I'll put the URL and the article in. But the, basically the title for you out there that are not looking, it says, EPA will not change the RICRA corrosive hazardous waste definition. And it's posted June 28th, 2001 by Roger Marks and Roseanne Barton, 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 Boton, whatever. Um, but basically what it comes down to is right here, it says under RICRA, an aqueous solution has a pH of less than 2 or greater than 12.5. You know how we say we can dump it down the drain at 5 to 9? Yeah. Rikra says 2 to 12 and a half. Is that – but that might be a federal, and then what most people are used to dealing with are state and local ordinances. Possible. And I'm going to put this article up there, but I can read this kind of quickly. It says the U.S. EPA recently denied a, peti a petition to 
to revise the definition of a corrosive hazardous waste in the RICRA regulations. The petition sought to lower, quote unquote, the threshold of a corrosive hazardous waste from a pH of 12 and a half to only 11 and a half. It sought to expand the definition of corrosive to cover non-aqueous wastes. The changes requested would have brought more substances under regulation as a corrosive hazardous waste. Um, Ammonia, for example, has a pH of about 11.6 and would have been subject to the full scope of RICRA hazmat waste, which again, ammonia is an enormous um, commodity and they hold tremendous lobbying power. Certainly do. So they denied it. Yeah, EPA denied it in 2016. Um, da, 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 da. And so, yeah, it's it's a interesting little article. It's not very long, but I will put it in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. Um I was not aware of anything like this. No, I, I was always under the impression that, you know, it was considered hazardous from what? What was it? Five? Five to nine. Eight? Five to nine? Five to nine. Five That's to nine. where, uh, you know, the EPA says you can dump it. And I could, I, I now I have to go look for it. But if any of you book nerds are out there and you want to, uh, you know, fact check this thing that was thrown across our desk, and I'm not saying this is fact, this is a um, lion.com, which I don't know if that is lion apparel. Um, I think this is lion, maybe technology, a, a teaching company because they have training and stuff. This one might be one of their blogs. But uh, okay. Let's see who they are about. Hmm. Yeah, it looks like it's a company that's that trains. But whatever, it's a, it's an interesting article. I'll put it in there, and if you guys uh, – we'll, we'll look into it a little bit more. Uh, we'll find out a little bit more about it, but it's just an interesting thing to go back to and see. Yeah, because it's a whole lot of neutralization we don't have to do. It's tremendous amount. <laughs> I used to joke about that, but now it's seriously like you can dump anything if I'm reading that right. Yeah. So, all right. Well, all right. Until that was fun. Next time. Well, that wraps up another episode of The Hazmat, guys. You can find us at Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. And don't be afraid to use that like or follow button. Or you can sign up for even more content from us at thehazmatguys.com. Here, you can subscribe so that we can connect you to even more great stuff. Your support is going to help us improve and build this awesome community even more. Yeah, and if you want to get to the next level, you won't want to miss our premium content. Our specialist level provides you with access to our entire catalog of shows, which is now over 300, an exclusive Facebook group, premium video with no ads, and so much more. Also, check the Hazmat Guys University link on our website. And don't forget, we are always interested in hearing about incidences or calls that you have experienced. We may bring you on the show to share that story reach us at feedback at thehazmatguys.com. And remember, folks, don't just get on the job, get into the job.